I'm just not buying that, okay? Um, and before I talk about our children, I'm going to release them to kids' stuff, okay? So uh, <laughs> you guys, get out of here. Get out of here. If you're a guest today, we have... Um, uh, uh, Kid Stuff Theater downstairs, our children's uh, ministry director and all of his crew and volunteers are down there, and it's a safe, comfortable environment. It's an exciting place, so uh, your kids are absolutely welcome to step down there uh, and to enjoy that time together uh, today. And we're going to be talking about you, so we really just need you not to just to go on and just go. Maybe it would be good for them to stay. You've probably heard songs like that your whole life, and you've watched movies and television shows, and uh, everything about our culture sort of reinforces that idea. Uh, But I think we do that, and we don't really think about it a lot. You know, we just absorb it, and we just put it back out there. Well, I'm not buying it. I'm just not. Um, I, I love children. You know I do. And But honestly... They're sinners, (laughs) just like us adults. I know. I used to be one and in some ways still act like one. And I've known children my entire life, and I still know lots of kids. And uh, I was a children's minister, and, and I know that children are a blessing from God. Children are precious beyond description. Their potential is beyond imagination. Every child is unique. There are lots of them in this building this morning. You saw many of them just uh, leave a moment ago. And the one that really matters to you most is yours, right? Your child, your nephew, your grandchild, you know, whoever that person is, that's who's kind of on your radar. Where we've come, and I know a lot of the things I'm going to say today, I'm probably going to get emails or calls about because it's going to come across as harsh, and I hope it doesn't. I hope you receive this. I hope you uh, just relax and, and uh, uh, just open your hearts, open your hearts. A lot of people worship children. To be honest, I fear for us and I fear for the church. Because when children become our idols from the cradle to college... It's dangerous for us, and it's devastating for the children. You are not loving them. You're not doing them a favor. And I, I, I think we, you know, we have this belief that there's somehow this, an inherent goodness and a genius in children. And if adults would just you know, leave them alone, that they would you know, run the world in a much better way. Uh, now, mixed together with a lot of warm feelings and half-truths, there's a message seeping through. Kids left unimpeding, unimpeded by meddling adults will, on their own, somehow become strong, masterful, loving people. And our culture has bought into that idea, I think, almost 100%. Uh, and I wonder if we even sense this. Uh, I think it's a massive shift that's taken place, I'm going to say, in the last 40 years. I don't know what the reference point is, uh, but I, 
I think the 60s was, was a game changer for a, a lot of us in culture. And then the 70s and the 80s, it kind of built onto that, following that. But I think there was a shift in, in our values and in the way that we, you know, our worldview, uh, not just in our country, but in other places as well. And I've asked, I've asked pastors and leaders in, in other countries, and they, agree, they think the, the same thing. They were a little behind us. Uh, the, 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 the bottom line is this. Kids rule. Their wishes, feelings, their happiness reigns supreme. Our culture idolizes children. I'm hearing me say these things, and I'm thinking, I bet you're so annoyed already, and thinking, wow, I just, I don't really like this guy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him an email. Um, and that's okay. Keep listening. The reason that I fear this is that if you read passages like Isaiah uh, chapter 3, you're going to find there are three warnings uh, that a nation is about to fall. These three warnings are these. Absent, weak men. Arrogant, resentful women. And children who are in charge. When you find those three signs, you will find a nation poised ready to fall. We're a nation on the brink. We are wobbling. Uh, And in the midst of all the crises and the issues and the problems and the polarization that we're experiencing as a country, we are um, at the same time uh, utterly vulnerable to the whims of children. And a quick look at moral biblical compass reminds us of just how far off course our society uh, has gotten. Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4, declares that there's one supreme object of loyalty, love, and sacrifice. And it's not family values. (laughs) It is the Lord, and it's Him alone. Proverbs 22.15 reminds us that children are by nature foolish. <laughs> and we're, we're born that way. She's right. We're born that way. And, and they're naive. And to abandon a, a child to his or her own immaturity is dangerous for them. They must be molded. Proverbs 1.7 says that a parent has a primary responsibility and it is not to the body or to the mind, or even to the imagination of a child. It is to the heart of a child. It's to the heart of a child. We pray that our children will possess one thing uh, at the core of his or her being, and that is this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 15.32 says that just as parents have a responsibility, so do children given their level of maturity. It says, He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. You actually warp and damage your child's self-esteem and their worldview when you don't discipline. Proverbs 29.15 says that an unstructured, pleasure-dominated childhood brings disaster. 
A child left to himself disgraces his mother. Proverbs 23, 13 tells us that to disregard instruction and discipline is is not to love your child. Because in so doing, you are withholding child the thing they will need. What scripture says is what they will need most on the day of danger. And I promise you, there are going to be lots of dangerous days between whatever age your child is now and the time that they are grown. And on beyond that, we still all of us in dangerous days. So please know, this is not an anti-child message. I love kids. This is not a reactionary message to say, hey, let's put children in their place, you know. Uh, it's not about that. This is a message. In fact, it's an entire series to put God in his place and for parents to step up and to take their place in the life of their child. Scripture nurtures children. I've read lots of parenting books. I was a youth minister for almost three decades of my life. I've got shelves and shelves of books, and I've been to the conferences, and, and God bless them. There's so much good information. But guys, this is such a beautiful and trustworthy, reliable reference point, even for raising a family. It's, it's, it's rock solid for your marriages. It's rock solid for relationships, for all kinds of things. But in the context of the life of a child, Scripture nurtures children. It gives healthy, holistic values that help parents and children to grow what they ought to be. Now, Scripture exalts childlikeness. This openness, the transparency, the loyalty, the teachability, uh, you know, all of these things with these characteristics, these attributes we find in, in children. In fact, Jesus himself said, unless you become like children, unless you become like a child, he says, you won't even enter the kingdom of heaven. Because children give their hearts. But the scripture also repeatedly warns and condemns against childishness. And there is a difference between childlikeness and childishness. The foolishness, the self-centeredness, and the rebellion that is wired into your child. Yes, your little darling (laughs) is a sinner. Listen to Robert Coles. He is a Pulitzer Prize winner. He is a child psychologist and a believer who has written many articles for magazines, including Time Magazine, U.S. World News and Report, and others. I want you to listen to this quote uh, from Robert Coles. For 15 to 20 years now, I have asked American people what they believe in, and they have said, I believe in my children. Now, when children have become a source of almost idolatrous religious faith, that is quite a burden for children to bear. Parents forget that what children really need, perhaps more than anything else, is discipline and a sense of commitment to something larger than themselves. Children need to be asked of as well as given to. So how can we know if we have placed our children too high? That's the premise. That's our beginning question. Now, I'm speaking to you as a father and now even as a grandfather. I'm an uncle. Uh, I'm a friend to children. I mean, I have children in in every area of my life. And I'm speaking to you as well as a pastor. 
I have some questions for you to, to help you to answer that, that big question, how do I know if I'm placing my children too high? Uh, because my greatest desire, one of my greatest desires in this series, uh, I, I don't want you to think, you know, well, he's just ranting. You know, Dan just gets something, he gets a burr under his saddle, he just goes off on it, and he just, and we have to, you know, go along with that. No, this is, it's, I'm, I don't want to appear to be ranting. I want you to know that I'm on a mission. Uh, and, and I don't know where your heart is, but let me ask you these four questions, okay? Number one, do our children limit our ministry? How many of us would not even consider a call to lead in an area or to even be involved in ministry because of the impact that it might have on our children? And this is a change I have seen just in my generation. From the time I began in ministry and would ask people to step up and to volunteer uh, up until to this moment, there's been a shift in the attitude about this. Uh, parents often think, well, this might, their lifestyle would be affected. You know, uh, they might have to sacrifice something. And how many of us would so then just dim- dismiss it out of hand? Many of us would say, well, that's out of the question from the word go because it would disturb my children. Well, we can't do that. We can't, we can't because of our kids. Number two, do my children see our church as their primary community? How many of us here consider church attendance and involvement as something that's optional? And we knowingly or uh, accidentally teach that to our children. We unconsciously say, I love my kids so much that hunting and fishing and boating, cabins, all of these things, playoffs and sports, etc., etc., all this interferes with our spiritual community. True, but, you know, our community will be there when we need it. We'll come in the off-season. We'll make it up. What I'm concerned about are the signals that we send to our kids that church is optional. It is our third or fourth or fifth priority because parents are finding community elsewhere. And I'm not preaching legalism here. I'm just talking about survival. Uh, When children reach 13 and 14 and their lives begin to shift, and a lot of you guys are living that right now, the age which you can no longer even begin to try to control their schedules like you could when they were little, and you decided who they played with and where you played, and when, I mean, you decided when they took naps and what they ate. I mean, everything was under your control. And when they hit that, that stage, you know, all of a sudden, it's not that way anymore. And the kids are saying, my community is my team. My community is my school. My community is my friends. And we wonder, what do we do? Number three, how much of our children's lifestyle is purchased with the Lord's portion? Folks, let's face it. We're not really working just to put bread on the table anymore. And some of you are, and I respect that, and I know some single parents, and I know some folks who've had hard financial times, and I absolutely recognize that. But by and large, uh, we're, we're beyond just working to feed and clothe our kids. Many of us are working to make sure that our children can keep up with the culture. I have three kids. 
I know what I'm talking about. I've been a parent for a long time. Uh, the pressure is on. And so I, I sympathize with you. I understand. But I think it's become a disease in the church and, and in our culture at large. How much of our children's lifestyle has been purchased with the Lord's portion? God says in Malachi, if you want fellowship, you want intimacy, stop robbing me. Stop, stop taking what, stop stealing from me. Haggai says, my house lies in ruins while you are busy with your own house. So you're so busy buying and collecting and accumulating and, and adding in um, that, that my house is neglected. That's pretty tough. There's no way to make the claim in most evangelical homes that world missions is a priority. Your kids aren't buying it. In fact, in most Christians' homes, there's no way to even say that personal ministry or financial stewardship is a priority. Number four, how many of us fear the disapproval of our kids more than God's? I think this has become so prevalent, I could do an entire message just on this one question. There's hardly anything more painful than being rejected by your child. I, I get that. I totally, I totally get that. But how many of us harbor that fear and find ourselves being manipulated by that fear? We allow ourselves to become slaves to the whims of our children's desires because we're afraid that they won't like us. And some parents engage in, in this lifestyle of, I want to be your friend. Can I just say, you know, your kids have got lots of friends, and they will have. God didn't design you and create you and place you in that place in their life. You're not their friend. You're their mom. <laughs> You're not their buddy. You're their dad. Now, you are, I understand, you know, you say, wow, I just, I wish we'd gone to the Methodist church. <laughs> They're so much nicer over there. And, and I understand. One time I was disciplining my son, and he didn't like it. We were in our bonus room, and he just, you know, with all that he could muster within him, he took the risk, and he said, I don't like you. And I went, oh, baby, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm here. What can, how can I make it up to you? No, I didn't do that. He said, I don't like you. And I just looked him right in the eye and I said, I don't care. <laughs> I said, you know, I said, I'm not here for you to like me. I'm here to mold you into the image of Jesus and to make sure. I said, when you're 30, you're going to like me. And when you're 30, your wife's going to love me. <laughs> He's got, you know, somebody before service said, you know, I, I think, you know, if, if you know, one of my children one day, you know, it's going to be a daughter of a son-in-law is just going to come over and punch me right in the face and say, this is, you know, hey. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I, I, okay, I stop. I stop. But I think you understand that, um, that sometimes we abdicate to our children's lifestyles and their demands, and we allow our kids to rule us because of our own insecurities. Now, this September, we're going to talk about a way to finally, once and for all, for all, eradicate through the cross 
and through learning how to deal with rejection and what your identity in Christ is. And I hope you get it because then you'll be freed up to not say, well, all my security and all my confidence, all, all of who I am is wrapped up in my kids. God never meant for it to be that way. Okay, well, you know, when somebody's idol is about to be exposed, and that's sort of what I'm doing at this point, you're going to experience a couple of things. You're going to, you may already be feeling this. First, you're going to experience paralyzing irrational fear, (laughs) along with the annoyance at me. And if you're afraid of what the implications of this message might mean to your life, please keep listening and keep pressing on because you're probably getting close to what God wants you to do. Secondly, um, you may resort to conventional wisdom and just think, Dan, sometimes I agree with you, sometimes I don't, but you're you're being silly, this is impossible, nobody lives like that. I know, I know, and look around and tell me if you think that's a good thing. Here's the second question to follow up with the first big question. What are the marks of a parent who is putting... God first in their family. That has been a dream of mine since Kathy and I were in college, and we knew one day we wanted to get married, and we knew one day we wanted to have children if, if God chose to bless us and wanted to do that. So we took child and family classes. We began to read all the way back then before we were even engaged. So you know, I want you to begin to think about this now, because if not, what you'll end up doing is that when you do find the right person, you get married and you start to have kids, you'll drop back and you'll just do it the way mom and dad did it, the way they raised you. And you'll say, well, this is the way, in my house, you know, my, we did, it may or may not be the right thing. And some of us who've already had children, you know, we look back and think, oh, I wish I'd have gotten the information not when my child was born or after that. We wish we'd have known it ahead of time, right? So, so this, is relevant. this is relevant to a lot of us. What are the marks of a parent who's putting God first in their family? Again, back to Deuteronomy. And this is kind of the key text uh, for today. Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 6 to 9 is really the context. In verse 6 it says, These commandments I give you today are to be upon your heart. Remember last week we talked about the heart being the, the cortex, you know, it's not this organ that pumps blood. It's that little collar uh, in your brain. We, we've already talked about that. But it, there, in that place, he says, I'm giving you commandments. Your heart, your heart. So gently I say, stop praying for your kids to be changed if that's the only thing you're praying about. And pray about your own heart. It's not just what you say and what you do. It's who you are. It's who you are. These commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These commandments should be the first personal priorities of every parent. Of every parent. Before you engage in all the other things. God says it starts in the heart of a parent. And it says in verse 7, impress them on your children. And that word impress is an interesting verb because it literally means to persistently infuse, to make it so clear that we really get it, we really understand, make it a part of who they are. Because these things are not intuitive. Uh, No child knows how to live instinctively. 
How many bad decisions did I make as a child? You know, I mean, and did you, and you see your children do things and you think, oh, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. They don't, we don't just know these things. Uh, no child, uh, every child has to be taught and has to be instructed. Life was never meant to be ad-libbed, okay? And just to leave them on, they'll figure it out. They, they won't figure it out. All methods of good parenting don't work. All the things you read and study, and, you know, and none of that's going to work unless the, you have the priority and the goal in place. Now, these, what I'm going to share now are the three most, I think, powerful methods of teaching uh, ever devised. And this will work, uh, especially today, I'm talking about with your children. I think it'll work in other contexts. If you're a coach, if you're an employer, uh, if you lead a team, uh, these things are solid. Um, but here's three messages I want to share with you uh, how, to, how to teach these things to your children. Now, the first method is imitation. Imitation. It's how you impress your children. You talk about God's commandments, not just verbally, uh, but it says as you walk along the way, as you sit down, as you lie down, you get the intent. You get, see where he's going with that? This becomes a part of your daily lifestyle, and they just see that. It becomes obvious children are the world's greatest imitators. And if you genuinely love God, your kids are going to catch that from you, and they will imitate it. They will imitate it. And this doesn't mean becoming more religious or more churchy or obnoxious or bossy or, you know, using God as a hammer you know, or any of those kind of things. It just means them seeing you. You know what? I will feel successful as a human being, as a person. Not that my children would ever say, wow, my dad played softball pretty good. <laughs> yeah. um, or, you know, he was one of the best preachers in town. Or, wow, he just knew how to do this or knew how to do that. You know, no, they're probably. But if they would remember... If they will look back, and and at my funeral, they would say, our dad loved God with a genuine heart. He loved our mother, and he loved us. I'm good with that. I'm good with that. That first method is imitation. The second method is repetition. The word says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. You think, well, that's an odd picture. I want you to see in your imagination a pious Jew who would wrap these phylacteries uh, around his left arm every morning as he gets dressed. And maybe the child's in the background. They're having breakfast. They're doing something. They're seeing dad get ready to go out for the day just like now. And he would do that. And then he would take this strap of leather with this little leather box. And he would, he'd put a part of scripture in that and put it on his forehead. It was so visible. You get the imagery? He's declaring to them and to the world, kids, I'm living for the Lord every day. It's not just when Sunday comes, you're going to see dad suddenly transform into a church guy, you know. And, and we're going to go to it's, it's not about that. It's not just what happens in this room or in this, this you know, place geographically. It's what you're like tomorrow and the next day and the next day. They see that consistently. And they see that that's a passion with you, that you're not just religious. But you're like that all the time. 
and children, and you're going to make mistakes. Oh my goodness, I've made so many mistakes. And my children have seen me act ungodly. I know that. But children see their parents repetitiously, habitually loving God, and they learn from those behaviors. Because you're modeling that for them, and it becomes natural. They understand. The third method is commitment. We don't nurture children into joyful, wise, godly adults accidentally or casually. It's very purposeful. So imitation, repetition, and commitment are the three most powerful methods of teaching. And it says here in verse 9, Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Give them a context. Uh, I know, you know, they're, they're going to be in... Uh, in environments constantly, and there will come a time when you, in fact, from the beginning, you control it less and less and less. I've begun to think about all the changes in society, and I think about my grandchildren, you know, who are, who are beginning to come onto the scene, uh, scene and, and their world is so much different than my world, you know, the, the world I grew up in. I'm, I'm like a, you know, an immigrant. I, I am a foreigner uh, in the next generation because the values that have shifted so dramatically. And I think this is one of the first times we've seen that happen because basically the 1920s, the 1930s, and the 1940s, and the 1950s, a lot of progress, a lot of industrial change, a lot of scientific change, but the values remained the same and were passed on generationally. Then came this abrupt shift, and your kids are growing up in a different world than you grew up in. Even if you're just 30, 40, you know, 50 years old, your kids are growing up in a different world. So it says, write them on the door frames of your house, that your house would be a different place, a different environment when they step in that and through the threshold. Now, we, we do this literally, you know. We have, no kidding, scriptures up. I think, I don't want to exaggerate, but I think in every room of our house, every room of our house, we have scriptures up. And we, we do that not, you know, super purposely because every time we want you to come in, we want you to read that scripture. No, but we want to give their kids this environment where they look around and they think, wow, this is our parents' context for living. Scriptures. Scripture is the place where we, where we grow and, and everything comes up out of it. They see how important that is for us. We also have pictures, photos of our kids in almost every hallway, and in almost every room of our house. We have pictures of our kids at different stages and phases of life, and some are candid and some are posed, some together and some with the family and some as individuals, so that our kids will always come in to our home and think, wow, look how valued and esteemed we are at every age. Look how important we are to our parents, how precious we are. They've, they've got our photos in every room in this house. Scripture and them are, are up. Not because that's magic. It's not going to ward off evil spirits, but it's a constant daily reminder of where we get our values and what's important to us. God's important to us, and you are important to us. Parents, nothing will teach your children about who they are and about whom God is better than when you are committed to Jesus. Half of, 90% of your work is done. When you say, kids, we don't know about everybody else. We hear about your friends and about when you went to spend the night over Susie's or Billy's house and they get to do this and that and, and we don't get to, they've got this and they're, you know, I, under, I understand that pressure and I've heard all those things. We don't, we don't know about all of that, kids, but for this house, 
For this home, we will serve the Lord. And when people enter here, when you come back home and when you bring your friends uh, to this place, you live in this home, you will know that it is a priority here to love and to serve, to be obedient, to be taught, to be nourished, and just how precious you really are to God. And we've had some of our kids friends through the years want to come to our house. And we've had kids from other places. When our, when our children grew up and began to work with children, we've had those kids to come to our house out of other uh, more dysfunctional, even than our house, <laughs> environments. And to say, we want to spend the weekend. We just spend the weekend. Can we spend the night? Can we stay with you all? Because there's something different. It's not about us. It's not because I'm so charming and we have so many things for them to do and to play with and our food is so much better. No, it's because there is a presence of Christ there. And kids are drawn to that, sometimes without even being aware of what that is. Just that peace uh, that's in your home. So uh, we be committed because that's, that's contagious. Children respond when parents drive a stake uh, down uh, for their kids of standards. And we need to take, let's take our children off the throne and replace them with God who rightfully belongs there. This is a message to rescue children from a burden they cannot bear, they were never designed to shoulder, and parents, you really can't bear it either. When God's taken off the throne, we will worship anything. And what makes a more perfect idol than our beautiful little kids? <laughs> so the first stage or phase, and I'm just going to touch on this. Uh, this morning, the phase of, of parenting is to teach a child to obey. Not to explore and you know, all these things. I know that sounds cool. I grew up in the generation, I think, that invented all that. Uh, but just to do what they're told when they're told. <laughs> you think, that is so basic. I don't even like that. Yeah, well, did, you know, uh, you need to teach your children obedience because delayed or partial obedience is just simply disobedience. And uh, they're going to be living with you until they're like 50 years old because nobody else wants to live with them. <laughs> and they can't get a job, and they can't keep a job, and they can't finish school. Okay, I'm, oh, okay. Um, let's extend church this morning, what do you say? And just let me go off on that. Okay, I'm, I'm, stop, 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 stop. Um, I have a new grandson, and I never mentioned him, but I you know, thought I'd, most of you don't know. We took him on vacation. The whole family went this year. It's just really awesome. We've never gotten, hadn't gotten to do that in several years. Um, and one morning, I was doing breakfast, and I, and I looked into this room in the house. There's a gathering room, and, and everybody, there's eight adults surrounding one seven-month-old. <laughs> so I go up and join the circle. And immediately I see why, because he's doing amazing, wonderful things. <laughs> he's just such a brilliant, I don't know, we're having him tested because he's so, I mean, just, you know, we're just all watching him. And I thought, how much attention he gets. You know what, that's totally appropriate. When children are born, they're, so, they're just, they're absolutely helpless. So we give them all of our attention. But parents, parents, there comes a time when, you know, you say to your child, now, you give me your attention. I know some children who don't pay any attention to their parents. If you never demand that your children pay attention to you, I promise you, 
<laughs> They're going to grow up to be egocentric, narcissistic, spoiled beasts. Okay. Um, <laughs> my baby, I'm never, I'm going to the Presbyterian church. They are so much nicer than this guy. Okay. But you know it's true, and I say it lovingly. I say it as your pastor and as your friend and as a parent. And you can say, well, I can't change the intent of their heart. I, get, I understand that. And, and you're right, you can't. However, you know, that, that's not your job. The Holy Spirit will do that as, as they grow. But whether they're toddlers or whether they're teenagers, you can restrain their behaviors. And you can give them a context in which to, to live in a safe place and to grow and to become the man or woman that God wants them to be. Listen. How you respond to the sinfulness in your child is critically important. I've seen parents be so passionate, and there are times I've been one of them, so dedicated to their child learning a new sport or skill that we just become exhausted. And we take all over the place, learning how to golf and dance and soccer and swim and baseball and karate and gymnastics and piano and on and on and on and on. And I'm not, I'm not against those things. Believe me, I'm for them. <laughs> and been involved in a lot of that. Uh, but we never teach them obedience. And your child may be brilliant at a hundred things, but if they're not obedient, you've set them up for failure, not success. I'm not anti any of those things. I'm simply saying that discipline is the first phase of life, and it's so necessary because the next phase is coming right behind it, and it's coming quickly. And as a dad, I can tell you it gets ten times harder and more complicated, and the consequences get ten times more serious because it's difficult to train a disobedient older child or adolescent. And what was so cute when they were two or three years old, that is so cute. It's not so funny when they're 10 or 11 or 12. Okay. Parents, just a couple of things. Be consistent. Be consistent. Mom, dad, you got to get on the same page. Okay? Your kids figure out really fast. You know how to do this, right? Mom said, well, daddy said he didn't care. Because they knew which one to ask first. (laughs) Or they'll reword it. I don't know. Go ask your mother. And guys, if you say that and you abdicate your role as a father and leader in your home and you use your wife as a scapegoat, well, shame on you. Uh, Your kids need a man in the house. They need you to step up and go, no. And don't go ask your mother. (laughs) I said no. You know, I mean, just get southern. Just get, you know, I have spoken, you know. But it's in you. I know. It was in your granddad. It's in you, okay? Let it come out. Because they'll play you against each other. And they know how to do that. They become brilliant at that, usually by the age two, three, or four years old. It's so funny. Uh, we seven month old, and he's, he's kind of in trouble the other day. And he turns around, and he looks at Kathy, my, his, his grandmother, and he leans toward her and goes, uh, uh. And I thought, look at that. Seven months. And he's realized, oh, that's where I want to be right now, <laughs> over here, you know. Okay, so uh, parents, be consistent. Get, your, get yourselves together. Go away and figure it out. Let that standard be the same between you and between what's true at home and what's true when you get outside. 
because they'll, they'll figure that out. There's one set of rules at home. There's another set outside. Get, get, get consistent and get constant. Okay, I'm going to pick on one thing um, because it's always been kind of a pet peeve of mine. And I uh, listened to a message this week, and the, and the guy brought this out again. Um, be constant. Where did we get this idea? And I saw this. I was in a bargain hunt in Nashville last weekend, and um, I'm looking at some things. And there's a child started picking up, p- pulling off the little metal spindle, you know, these little electronic things. And the mother came around the corner and said, stop that. They looked at the mother. Your child's never done this, but this child did it. Pulled another one off and looked at the mother. This is a test. Mother said, I mean it. Did it again. If you do that one more time. And they just stood there and said, come with me. Come with me. The child just stood there. And here's what the mom did. One Two, three, after three, the child goes reluctantly, grumpily, fussily, starts following the mom. Who taught you to do that? Why are you counting? (laughs) That's delayed obedience. And you know what delayed obedience is? It's disobedience. You are teaching your child that one day in school, one day with their boss, one day with their coach, they don't have to comply immediately. They can do it in a little while or later or tomorrow. And when they come home and they say, I'm moving back in again because I lost another job. And you know, why? Well, my boss is so unreasonable. Well, did you, all you had to do is just what they say. Yeah, but you never made me do that. You just counted. Okay. Um, I'm serious. If you count, if I hear you doing that in cafe or in the halls, I'm, I'm okay, I'm just going to judge you. Um, I am. Because while they're whining and fussing and you're threatening or begging, you know, and then you're, you're counting and allowing that until they give in, you're just teaching them delayed obedience is okay. That's acceptable. It's not acceptable. That's just a form of disobedience. Okay, I'm going to stop. Uh, <laughs> Um, I believe parenting is so important. And I've built an entire series around this idea. And I want us to talk about what that looks like from birth through adulthood. Some of you are parents of babies. God's blessed us with just all, so many new children here at Calvary. Just in, Even in the last week, I thought, wow, one day we're going to have one big birthday party for about four or five or six kids because they were all born in the same week. It's just delightful to see that. So from, from that through, you know, through you know, preschool and children and, and adolescence and teen parenting, and then many of us are parents of adult children. And some of those children are prodigals. Some of those children don't walk with the Lord. And we're not sure, how do we, is our job over? Do we just grieve about it? Do we just pray for them? How, what, what, what can we do to minister at all these phases? And many of us are still children, right? I mean, technically, I mean, you think, well, now you've you'd offended everybody else but us, and now you're coming after us. Well, I didn't want you to feel left out. So, <laughs> uh, no, but, you know, we're, we're still under the authority of, of our parents, and, and that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. So how do we respond to them? So th- this really this applies to a, a lot of us uh, in this place. 
And today we've begun just looking at, at some of these principles, you know, beginning with the idea that we need to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and our souls and, and every part of who we are, and then impress that onto the children, into the children at a very early, as an early age as possible. And, you know, there may be a family meeting coming up on the horizon when you sit down and say, kids, I, I love you, I've tried to be a good dad, but I've kind of realized that I haven't been loving you uh, the way God intended for me to love you. And we're going to make some changes, and some of those may be uncomfortable for you. Because I'm, I'm not going to, for one thing, I'm not going to count anymore. <laughs> uh, okay. If you've been counting, would you just come forward now? And I just want you to, <laughs> to kneel, right? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm teasing, but um, sort of. Uh, we've learned it's who we are. And, and then we've just begun to touch on the fact of how incredibly important it is to discipline our children. That we have to discipline them, um, really, all the way through life. But it changes and it lessens. And so that by the time they're teenagers and adults, they, they do become your friends. They do become your friends. Our kids are our best friends. And we're enjoying them now more than ever. And um, it's so wonderful. They bring their kids and we can just... <laughs> Send them home. We don't have to, you know, be a part of the harder part if you do it now. If you do it now. Father, I want to thank you. Would you stand, please? We're going to sing together and just worship the Lord as we... And I just want you to push this in our hearts, Father, would you? And Lord, help us to make a, a change today, to help us to step into and to be committed to a new style of parenting and to a deeper walk with you. Because we can't fake this. Uh, I pray that every father and every mother, every potential father and mother, would come to the place where your, your laws, your grace is written on their hearts so that we may be able to one day in authenticity and, and with sincerity to impress it on the next generation's hearts. We trust you to do that, Father. Show us how. Show us where to begin. We thank you for your discipline in our lives. And Father, teach us how to discipline and to love our children. In Jesus' name.